Chapter 30 Revivals and How to Secure Them The word revival is associated in many minds with unpleasant recollections. It suggests a season of great excitement, the multiplication of meetings, a multitude hurried into the church, many of whom are not converted, followed by a reaction equally strong and of much longer duration. Such a season all sensible people deprecate, but it is foolish to condemn all revivals because some are spurious. It would not be wise to refuse all money because we have seen a few counterfeit bills, but it would be wiser to learn the difference between genuine and counterfeit. Even so, it may be profitable to consider what a genuine revival of religion is, why it is often necessary, and what can be done to promote it. A revival is simply a renewal of spiritual life that has grown dormant. Strictly speaking, it applies only to Christians, because those with no spiritual life cannot have it renewed. You can revive a drooping plant, but not a dead one. So those in whose heart Christ dwells may have their love for Him increased, but one who has never been converted cannot be revived. However, when Christians are revived, the unsaved are sure to be converted, though this is by no means the principal benefit. That the Spirit does move upon a church or community at times in an unusual manner cannot be denied. In place of apathy and indifference, we see attention and interest. God's Word seems attractive, and God's house is thronged night after night regardless of the weather or season. Old feuds are forgotten, old enemies are reconciled, and everybody feels that they ought to settle up with God and man, whether it involves a hearty confession, the paying of a debt, or the restoration of that which has been wrongfully taken. The atmosphere is favorable to the confession of Christ, and those who have long felt it to be their duty are now emboldened to do it. If all this makes better men and women, more considerate parents, more obedient children, happier homes, and more peaceful neighborhoods, who shall say that it is not an unmixed blessing? Anything that makes people more reverent and prayerful or more honest and truthful is good and good only. This is precisely what a revival of religion does. Objection 1. It awakens excitement. What if it does? Excitement is a good thing if the object is a worthy one, and the conversion of lost men and women is certainly a worthy object. Businessmen try constantly to interest people in their stock of goods and work night and day to get a crowd into their store. Politicians flood the country with literature and parade the street with bands, and no one questions the wisdom of it because we know it is necessary to arouse the public to the importance of voting aright. However, when God's people put forth special efforts to arrest the attention of the thoughtless, the cry of excitement is sure to be raised. It is the devil's device to hinder the Lord's work, and he often finds professing Christians his best helpers in raising this foolish objection. Objection 2. It does not last long. That may be true in some cases, but the merchant does not stop advertising his business because he knows the boom will not last long, nor does the politician though he knows the campaign will be short. It is not to be expected that special meetings will continue for many weeks, but if the work is genuine, the results will abide for years. The Reformation lasted only a few years, but Europe and the whole world feel its effects to this hour. Pentecost lasted but a day, but in that day, it changed the whole face of the world 
religiously. Why are revivals necessary? Why does a dying plant need water and sunshine? Because it does not have enough strength to hold its head up and must have outside help. Likewise, there are many Christians who are not self-sustaining. They do not pray or feed on the Word enough to keep them in good spiritual condition. The consequence is that they steadily lose ground until they are in danger of losing all hold on Christ, and special measures must be used to revive them. Frequent doses of God's Word must be poured into them until they begin to respond to it, love it, and become self-sustaining Christians able to help others into the way of life. In all ages God has found it necessary to say to His church, Awake! Awake! Clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion! Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 1. When may a revival be expected? When God's people desire a revival and are willing to comply with the conditions. God is always willing, but His people are not. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 These two passages seem to teach clearly that God's people can have a revival whenever they are willing to do their duty as the Word requires and claim God's promise. Oh, for a revival in every heart, home, and church in our land! Do you really want a revival? A revival is not a thing of chance. If it comes, it is because someone has set in motion spiritual forces which make a revival inevitable. On one occasion, when Dr. Lyman Beecher was pastor at Litchfield, Connecticut, a remarkable work of grace occurred. Its coming was sudden and unexpected. There had been no extra meetings, nor were there any indications of special interest such as usually precede an outpouring of the Spirit. No one could account for this strange manifestation of divine power. When the interest had somewhat subsided, Dr. Beecher began to take up his pastoral work again and called, among other places, at the house of a sick man who lived on the outskirts of the parish. The shut-in asked many questions about the revival and the various people who had been converted and then told his pastor the following story. He said that as he lay on his bed, he had felt greatly depressed at the thought of his utter uselessness. Finally, it occurred to him that he could at least pray for people if he could not visit and talk with them. He began to pray for his next-door neighbor, then the next house, and the next until he had prayed his way to the end of the street, taking in every family and praying for every individual so far as he knew them. Then he took another street and another, until he prayed his way all through the parish. Then he began again and prayed his way through the parish a second time. Then came the revival, which he was expecting, but which the church and pastor had no intimation of and for which, indeed, they do not appear to have been responsible. When Dr. Beecher heard that story, he said, Now I know where that revival had its earthly origin. It was in the sick room of that godly man. Our Savior has an intense concern for souls, 
During his earthly life, he worked so zealously that he reminded his disciples of the passage, Zeal for your house will consume me. John chapter 2 verse 17. He arose early in the morning to pray. Indeed, he often prayed all night, we may believe. He wept over Jerusalem. He even sweat blood under the crushing weight of his personal responsibility. Christ expects his church to share this concern for souls with him. The church is the bride of Christ and the mother of God's children. A husband and wife ought to think alike and feel alike. Their interests are identical, and their hearts should throb as one. Unless the bride of Christ shares with her Lord in this concern for souls, no spiritual children will be born, for children are not born of one parent in either the natural or the spiritual world. Indeed, it would be a calamity if children should be born under such conditions. You might as well put a babe in the arms of a dead mother as to put converts into the care of a cold, unsympathizing church. Those with experience know that the hardest thing to accomplish in revival work is to secure a favorable atmosphere for the new birth. After that, the work is very easy. On the other hand, where there is a real concern for souls, conversions will occur. A wife in England resolved to pray for her husband's conversion every day for a year. At the end of that period, he was apparently as far from Christ as ever. She decided that she would try it six months longer. At the end of that time, her husband was still indifferent. She was discouraged and thought she might as well give up. However, when she faced the question of giving up as lost the one whom God had manifestly entrusted to her spiritual care, she said to herself, no, I will never give him up. I will pray for him as long as I live. That very day, when her husband came home to dinner, he passed her in the hall and went upstairs. She waited for him until she became alarmed and then went up to his room. There was her husband on his knees, crying to God for mercy. He became an earnest Christian worker. As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8. Let us not look for the twentieth century revival until we have become revived ourselves, for conviction of sin will not come to others until a concern for souls has come to us.